Welcome to the Gonzo Chronicles. I'm your host, Cyrus Alderwood, the official spokesman for Generation X. Stick around. It's going to get weird, as always. Thanks for stopping by for another podcast. Uh, today, we have a very special guest, and I'm, I'm very glad. I've been waiting for a while to have uh, Stephen James onto the podcast. Stephen James is the critically acclaimed best-selling author of 18 novels. He served as a contributing editor to Writer's Digest magazine, and he's the author of the groundbreaking nonfiction book story, uh, Story Trump Structure and Troubleshooting Your Novel. When he's not working on his next book, Stephen teaches novel writing, uh, intensive retreats across the, the country, um, with also New York Times bestselling author Robert Dagoni. And he also hosts a weekly podcast called The Story Blender, and where Stephen has interviewed more than 200 of the top storytellers and writers in the world. So Stephen James, thanks for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, I've been excited to to talk to you for a while about your current works and some of your past works and uh, sure, absolutely. What's, what's going on with you. So how are things going? It's we're getting toward the end of the year. Are you working on anything new at the moment? And, and uh, I am, I've been, uh, I have a new series that starts that's releasing uh, next year, early next year. So I'm working on the second one in that series. So I, honestly, I've had a hard time focusing i have like a lot of irons in the fire right now which i need to just like throw them all out and just focus on one thing and finish it up but but hopefully in the next couple months i'll be able to i'll be writing tonight after we're done chatting so well you and me both um we have uh next week starts (laughs) national novel writing month nanowrimo to people who are you know that that love to write it's uh, nanowrimo for short um I imagine you don't take part in that because you're kind of taking part of it every month <laughs> all year long. <laughs> I've um, never done that um, writing challenge. You know, I um, I think it's great if people want to focus on writing. I just don't think that you can probably say, I'm going to write a whole novel in one month. There's very few people in the world that can pull that off. But but hey, my, more power to you if you want to chomp into it and give it a shot. So Yeah, we're yeah. not Mary Shelley writing Frankenstein. <laughs> all right, so... Um, <laughs> The, uh, I wanted to kind of bring, first of all, before we get into a lot of the different books, and a couple I really wanted to talk about. Uh, you have a new book out called uh, Art of the Tale with uh, Tom Morrissey. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that and what, what brought that book on. Well, Tom is a world-renowned speechwriter, and I thought it would be interesting if we did a book together from my perspective and background as a novelist and his, his as a corporate speechwriter, how to actually tell stories. 
Um, so while it applies in some regards to writing, it's more for oral storytelling, presentations, business leaders, teachers, ministers, whoever it might be. And um, so what was fascinating about that is I really changed my view of what a story is when I was working on the art of the tale. Um, and uh, so it's got my new kind of theory about the six aspects of all great stories is in the art of the tale. And so that's kind of what I've been teaching over the last year is this new kind of uh, different, different perspective that looks at story, not simply through a temporal lens of what happens when beginning, middle, end, first act, second act, third act, but more on the elemental level of what is essential for a great story to occur. Yeah. And you know, I really enjoy these books that you, um, you know, not just your, your novels with stories and great action adventure and, and, and plot and theme and, conflict but um you, you know you write these books that are also helpful to other writers and the you mm. know those workshops and seminars that you that you put on i've been fortunate i think to have sat in on three of these now um that that you've taught mm. and um they've every single time been helpful even to writers that have been in the room that have been writing for 20 plus years there's mm. always something new and uh so encouraging about the way you present these things and i found it to be the same thing and uh, your book, Story Trump Structure, that was the, oh, yeah. I, I think I read that before I read any of your, your stories, you know, so I read this book and I was like, uh, there you okay, go. I want to learn, learn a few things based off of the seminar that, that uh, I sat in on. Um, that with uh, troubleshooting your novel, um, mm -hmm. how has the reaction from other writers been that have read these and approached you over the years? Well, you know, it's super encouraging because there are a lot of books out there on plot and structure. You can there there's tons of books on how to structure and plot out and outline your books and so on. But there really weren't any books, and I have a bookshelf behind me right here with dozens, if not hundreds, of books on writing and screenwriting and 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 I was like, there aren't any that really talk about organic writing or writing without an outline, writing without a plot, writing without a formula or template and so on. So, so really story Trump structure was my attempt to sort of fill that void and write a book that says, okay, look, here's how to break the rules, the rules, whatever they are, and write better stories. And then uh, troubleshooting your novel is really 80 super super short chapters that deal with identifying and then solving plot problems, issues, anything with, with your novel. So, uh, so the one is more kind of very, very practical story. Trump's structure is a little more theoretical about a different approach to writing. And when you but say, been fun the, to see. yeah, when you say breaking the rules, you're, you're not kidding right on the front of the book on the cover, it <laughs> says break the rules. And as soon as yeah. I saw that, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to read that because yeah, I never took <laughs> there you go. formal formal writing classes. I wasn't an English major in college. And you know, it's like, yeah, the rules are made to be broken. And um, yeah, you really you really tackled that concept, that that thought really well through the book. Um, I guess one thing that really stood out is a lot of writers will talk about how they have to have structure, a plot, you know, a, an outline. And can you explain maybe to those that are out there? Because I've talked to a lot of people that some that listen to the show that want to start writing what is the difference between having um an outline and actually writing by the seat of your pants or you call them pantsers i think is uh, during the uh, seminar well yeah i mean some people will call them seat of your pants writers or pantsers as you say pantsers and plotters and so on like this and i always actually look at it as organic writing in the sense that 
Um, I feel like the more you understand what lies at the heart of a great story, the less you'll have to outline and the less you'll have to write by the seat of your pants, kind of the way I look at it. So so really for me, it's like, what makes a story work? What are the ingredients, the elements of, of, of stories? And then as you understand that, it'll inform you as, as you write the story. So some people want to... Um, so some people want to lay out the plot before they've written the action. And Ray Bradbury has a great quote. I don't know that this is word for word, but he said um, that plot is the action that uh, plot is the tracks in the snow that are left after the action has occurred. Okay. So, so that, um, so plot is what you have after the um, characters have gone on their way to these amazing adventures. So to sit there and say, I'm going to plot out my story before it occurs is to write the story exactly what? Backwards. So so plot is the result. It's not what precedes it. And so to say, I'm going to outline my book and write it, it's like, that's writing backwards. What I feel like it makes more sense is to write the story, not plot-based, but pursuit-based. What is this character pursuing? What struggles does he have? What... um, tension arises, how does he resolve those in unexpected and satisfying ways, and then move the story forward through that. So I'm not a huge guy of trying to say, follow a plot formula or template, but there's tons of stuff out there that will take you through that step by step. And like on page 20, you introduce subplot B and all this. I'm like, that's just baloney. I don't believe in any of that stuff. (laughs) um, (laughs) Yeah. For those looking to buy a you know, book on uh, you know, learning how to write, I, th- I thought Story Trump structure was incredible. As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll just kind of toss this out here. I, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you at any of the uh, presentations you were at, but when I wrote my first book, I started back in uh, 2000. And mm-hmm. I was so excited. One of these people self-publish your book, right? Just run out to a vanity press. Oh, and, oh and it sucked. Terrible. But I went back <laughs> years later after I pulled those these, these four books off the shelf because I was only going to write one book. This is one of that bucket list thing, get it off the list. And it turned out to be a four part series. Uh, I took, I pulled them off the shelf because it literally took me, I had to do rewrites on that first story. I realized it was still a good story. Took me 20 years to get it right. 20 (laughs) years. Now, after I read a story Trump structure, I started working on a new, um, a new series, a Gonzo Chronicle series. Hmm. And I sort of took your seat of the pants outline. Because it's not full-length mm-hmm. novels. They're like novellas, 150, 160 pages. Yeah. Um, and leading in with all the action, get the action out, and then worry about the plot as it <laughs> unfolds. And that made that writing process actually so seamless. It was almost mm-hmm. like I just sat down and almost got it the way I wanted on the first draft. That's amazing. Um, well, good for you. That's great. You know. So, um, yeah, if you haven't read that <laughs> book, go, go check it out if you want to be a writer, if you want to write a book. It's on Amazon story trump structure um but uh no but it was really a really good now you you do these uh seminars often right you're all over the country with these how often are you doing these well i do teach uh you know sometimes at writers conferences um i was just in australia a couple weeks ago i was just in florida um i'm going to be doing a seminar here um in november in uh eastern tennessee and then um i'll be in orlando but 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 um, so sometimes I'll do like an intensive four-day conference 
with uh, just 12 people. So I do those once a year. So we have writers come from around the, well, around the country, around the world. And so we'll just really go in depth for, for four days. So that I teach with Bob Dagoni. Um, so we have a lot of fun with that. It's a lot of work though. <laughs> so much work because we critique up to 50 pages of, of people's novels and, and then teach for about like eight hours of lecture plus all of the critiquing. So, so those are fun. And, um, but a little bit, you know, a little bit different only for uh, uh, specialized people who really focused on on their novels. Uh, but I really just love, you know, just inspiring people to tell stories, to tell their stories, to to improve their, uh, you know, their novels. So I enjoy really that uh, any opportunity that I get to um, to get out there and do that, as long as I can still keep chomping forward on the novels that I'm trying to write myself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I did want to ask the, um, you know. Being living in uh, Northeast Tennessee, do you get any inspiration from the area uh, to write uh, any any particular works? Yeah, um, so my first novel actually takes place in the Asheville area, so I wanted to do something in this area. And then my latest novel, it does take place. Broker of Lies, which comes out next year, actually takes place kind of in uh, Northeast Tennessee. A lot of it does. So I love this area. I moved here many years ago, fell in love with it. So anytime I get the opportunity, I try and and sneak it in. Uh, one of my other books, a young adult book called Curse, takes place over um, kind of in the Smoky Mountains. So uh, so yeah, so over the years, anytime that I can, I kind of try to land a scene or a story in this area. Uh, was just as old as these mountains are and uh, all the history. Yeah. I can, I can imagine there's probably so much inspiration. I did want to ask you about um, one of your books. I just started at quest for Celestia. Yeah. Um, was this a rewrite of an older book? Did I read that somewhere? Well, basically many, many years ago, there was a book called the Pilgrim's progress that came out, but back in like the 1600s, it was an allegory. And uh, so I thought, what if what if I followed sort of the plot of that story, but not as an allegory, but told it as an adventure fantasy story? And um, and so I tapped into some of the themes from the Pilgrim's Progress and tried to write sort of a Narnia Lord of the Rings type fantasy story with some of those themes reoccurring. It was a lot of fun. It was um, it was fascinating. So it was actually the first book that I wrote many years ago, um, and then it went out of print, print, but then um, another publisher picked it up and they're like, we want to republish this. I was like, well, great. It's written. So that's easy. So I thought, well, maybe I better look at it just to see if there's any little changes I want to make, you know, throughout the book. But, and in truth, I actually ended up rewriting every scene of the book. So, <laughs> so the, um, so the book, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's much better than the original version, but it is based on some of the themes from the Pilgrim's Progress. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's a really fun, um, it's a fun fantasy uh, read. And um, so I I worked on that quite a bit because I wrote it and I basically rewrote it again about five or 10 years after it came out. Yeah, that, I, I, I'm just now getting into that book and I'm obviously a big fan of Lord of the Rings and, yeah. and Narnia. So I, I'm probably going to be pretty fascinated with this. Uh, just kind of toss this out there. Being a fan of fantasy, uh, did you get a chance to watch Game of Thrones? Were you into that series? I um, I watched some of Game of Thrones, and um, 
the thing was, it was a little bit more graphic, I guess, uh, with the nudity and kind of some of that than than I expected. So, uh, so than I anticipated. But uh, but no, I love fantasy, and I actually had George R. R. Martin on the um, Story Blender um, a couple of years ago. I interviewed him about um, Game of Thrones and and his his approach to writing as well. It was really fun to have him on. Okay, yeah, I want to get into the podcast here in a little bit and ask you about yeah. that. I, uh, uh, before we kind of jump onto some other other questions I had for you, there was one particular book that you have that I just kind of soaked this up. It was a sci-fi book, Synapse. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I kind of, just to kind of, I don't, I'm not going to give any spoilers because this was a great book, and hmm. sci-fi fans, go, go read this. Um, it's set 30 years in the future in Cincinnati. And I've, I lived in Cincinnati for a number of years, so I started reading this. <laughs> like, oh, okay, cool. You know, um, artificial intelligence is pretty far advanced, uh, and humans and robots, I guess, are living together. And, you know, neighbor, you know, just in this different kind of world. Um, and the, the the cognizant robots are, I guess, uh, they're called artificials. So mm. in this in this book, um, your your main character, uh, Kestrel, and you have the other uh, one of the characters, Jordan, which is uh, an AI. Mm. Um, I did kind of want to just kind of toss this out here to you because that was a very deep book. Um, yeah, when you started yeah. thinking about it, um, not just like these, uh, what the the uh, the AIs. Do, I guess the, the I guess the concept. I'm trying to find the words for this. <laughs> what do they? What do they like? What do they know? And then what do they believe? You know, do they do they come to the point where they actually have beliefs? And because uh, we deal with Kestrel, who's a minister. Uh, and yeah, she yeah. Pregnant and just had a baby at the very beginning of the, of the book, and then this harrowing scene where mm -hmm. she's in the beginning, right after mm -hmm. giving birth, and just—I'm not going to ruin the scene, but it's a pretty chaotic scene. Um, yeah. But that's such a powerful question. Um, is there hope, or is it, is it hope or an illusion? Uh, is it? Uh, yeah, I've read that somewhere. Somewhere and asked that, but it was such a deep question. It's like a very Isaac Asimov like and. I wanted to kind of toss that out to <laughs> well, you. I appreciate that. Yeah. No, I appreciate that comparison a lot. You know, I love sci-fi. I always have. And uh, so, so you know, for me, there are a lot of books and movies and so on have asked this question about AI, artificial intelligence, obviously, you know, and cognition of machines. And I thought, well, what about artificial belief? Like when machines have free will consciousness and self-awareness, let's just say that that day comes 30 years in the future, whatever. What will they choose to believe? And um, as you pointed out in Synapse, there's this uh, robot, Jordan, who is uh, assisting Kestrel, uh, this minister. And um, and basically, he remembers a previous owner had actually um, taken her own life. And she had written a note that said, don't, I don't want to live unloved. And, and, and he, let her, he let her die. So, but... He did love her, not in a romantic sense or something. This wasn't Westworld or something like that, but but he, he cared about her. Now he goes to Kestrel and he's like, how do you find forgiveness? You know, he's like, you're a minister. How do you find forgiveness? She says, well, you talk to the person that you wronged and then you ask him to forgive you. He's like, well, what if you can't? What if they're gone? He's like, well, God, forgive me. And she's like, you're a robot. You don't need God to forgive you, you know? And he's like, but I'm a morally free agent. I made this choice. I want to know if redemption is available. And so 
these are just the kind of some of the questions. It's a thriller, you know, it's a high concept, high stakes thriller, but but I wanted to do uh I wanted to allow the characters to ask some of these really interesting questions that I hadn't really seen asked before in uh different sci-fi books and movies. So it was it was a lot of fun to write. I'm really glad I did it. And and um and it, you know, if people if it makes them if they enjoy the ride and it makes them ask some questions, then that's fantastic. Yeah, and sometimes these questions are uncomfortable, even for yeah. us to think about because we're in we're in the very beginnings of a, of a world where we're starting to rely more on AI and what, what is it capable of? And, you know, in the world of Elon Musk, I think, uh, again, everyone's kind of <laughs> championing him right now with what he's done with Twitter, but you know, this is the same guy who wants to be able to put chips in our brains and download our, our souls into a, a mainframe. I mean, so <laughs> how, how, you know, are we protecting our humanity? Or, you know, so there's a lot of deep questions. But I think it's great stuff to you know to talk about and think about, and and of course, all big questions are great material for big stories. So yeah, they they definitely are. Which uh, leads me to a, a, I did want to bring up one of the things that you've talked about repeatedly in uh, in your seminars and your workshops is the topic of conflict and um, hmm. what you know, how that makes for a, a better story, uh, not just not just for writers, but how readers can recognize. As, as you were talking, that's what I was thinking about, how we can do it as a writer to make our stories better. But as, as I'm listening to you during these workshops, I'm thinking, wow, we should have readers in here. People that don't write and mm. read and listen to this from this perspective. I wonder if they would read stories differently. Can you talk a little bit about conflict in the writing process? Well, you know, um, uh, every story is driven forward not by plot and not by character, but only through tension. Tension is the only thing that drives a story forward. And, and tension comes from unmet desire. So at its core, really, a story about not so much actions that are taken, but desire that's pursued. And so if you get what you want, there's no tension, there's no story. And so stories are really um, in, in basically intention infused action where we want something we pursue it something gets in the way that creates more tension escalates it and we try to then eventually um, resolve it in in a way that hopefully we get what we want or maybe we don't and it the, the end of the story might depend on the genre that it is and so on but but um so within a story there are there's tension within three different realms so there's internal, um, tension. This is a question that needs to be answered. There's external tension. This is a problem that needs to be solved. And there's interpersonal tension. This is um, a relationship maybe that might need to be restored or or initiated. And so, so when I think of stories, I think of struggles within each of the realms. And I'll often ask myself, well, what does this character want? And um, what's getting in the way of them achieving or obtaining, avoiding it, whatever it might be. Um, and so, so one one easy way to think of it is this way. Every character enters every scene hoping for something. What is it? If you don't know what it is, you don't know what your story's about. And uh so and if you don't know what gets in the way, you don't probably have any struggles, you probably don't have any story. You just have someone going out to achieve something and live happily ever after. So stories are all about like kind of what you said, obstacles, struggles, tension, unmet desire. These are the things that really drive uh, drive a story forward. 
Yeah, things that are just out of grasp that your that your uh, <laughs> protagonist really wants yeah, but can't get it. get it. You know. Yeah, yeah, can get it. Um. So yeah. So it's it's very important. Like I, that's why I thought it'd be great for have a reader sit in these and just take notes because <laughs> you 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 know when you learn more about something from a writer's perspective you tend to read differently it's like reading different novels and or different writing styles like you know story trump structure well that's going to impact the way i write or whoever else writes that's reading it mm-hmm. you've been writing for you know a number of years um when did you first start was there a, a writer out there or a book that you picked up that kind of like gave you that bug that you wanted to start writing <laughs> uh that's a good question. I've always loved stories, storytelling. I grew up reading short stories, especially and particularly loved short stories, short fiction, especially science fiction and horror. And so I kind of grew up on Kuntz and King and, and others. And, and, uh, and then eventually I said, you know, I just want to tell stories myself. I remember I was reading one book one day and um, I was actually teaching writing, I think in India, if I remember right, with this book, but I was reading this book. It was all the rage. Everyone was talking about it. And I read it and I was like so angry when I got done. I like threw it against the wall. And I was like, if that's the best that's out there, I can do better than that. Then I heard this little voice inside of me say, Oh yeah, prove it. I was like, Oh, okay. Now I gotta prove it. So <laughs> so um so then that was really the impetus to write the pawn, my first uh thriller. And you know, I tell people sometimes get angry at mediocrity. I actually have a sign in my office that says rage against mediocrity. And for me, I really want to tell and write amazing stories. So stories that really entertain people, hopefully get them thinking about things in a new way. And um, I feel like it's very easy to write mediocre fiction. A lot of people kind of tend to to do drift toward that because it's not as much work. Man, I'll work at my books until I feel like this is really the best that I have to offer the world and then set it out. So I'm not as prolific as some of my friends are. They'll they'll have more books out than I do, but but I just have been sort of obsessed with this idea that I want it to be worthy books. And so I just I don't know, probably don't, don't make as much of a living as I could if I would write faster, but just it, it takes me a long time to uh, to actually get my get my books together and get them out there. How old were you when uh, you wrote Paul? How how old was I? Yeah. I don't know. Whenever that was, that was like in <laughs> 2005. So I guess okay. 17 years ago. Okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I was, uh, I'm a, I was in my 30s, really. Um, you know, when I wrote... Um, when I wrote The Pawn. So I didn't get started with novel writing until a little bit later, you know. I wrote other books for a while, nonfiction, inspirational books, and different types of books. But um, but I, I guess it was 2005, now that I think about it, that I really wrote, uh, worked on The Pawn and, and got that book together, yeah. Yeah. A long time ago. <laughs> it does say, you know, it seems like a long time ago when I started writing too, but... Um, but yeah, I, I do uh, appreciate the fact that you put uh, quality over quantity because um, people can churn out a lot of books. And are they, I, you know, I, I give a book about 10, 15, 20 pages. And if I'm not into uh-huh. it, I'll just put it down. You know, I'll yeah. try any book that long. But after that, if you, if you don't have a, something to hook a reader, and I don't, I've, I've probably put more books down in the last two years than I've kept uh, mm-hmm. reading, which is sad to say. Yeah. I- 
Yeah, I am. Um, I do the same. I don't always finish a book, and and uh, you know, I I, I remember this uh, friend of mine that I met. Um, his name is Davis Bunn. Anyway, so he wrote a book back a number of years ago, and it came out. He was at a book signing, and uh, this guy next to him was a famous author. Had a long line of people buying his books, and Davis has no one in his lines. Like I wrote a book too. You know, here I am. Come on, <laughs> buy my book. Anyway, so this, finally, this lady comes walking up very reverently carrying her book, right? Or carrying his book, right? So she comes up and she says, sir, is this a worthy book? And he's like, yeah, it is a worthy book. And so she said, would you kindly sign it for me? So he signed, it was the only book he sold that day. And I still remember that when he told me that story, I thought, I want to be able to do that. Like, I want to be able to look someone in the eye if I ever write a novel and say, Yes, that is a worthy book. And so that story is in my mind with every book that I write. I want to be able to do that. I don't want to look at someone and say, yeah, just kind of put that one together, threw it out there, but check this one out or whatever. Yeah. I want to be able to say, okay, this is, this is, might not be your cup of tea. Maybe you don't like thrillers and suspense. You like cozy mysteries or something. That's fine. But that is, that's the best that I had to offer the world at that moment in my life. And so, yeah, so for me, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's just my approach, you know, it's not better or worse. I know some people like to spin out books that are kind of the same and get the cookie cutter kind of versions, but, but that just, that doesn't uh, work as well for my, my it, it, kind of my approach. Yeah. Yeah. I recently, I wrote a, an article on Substack, um, books that everyone should read. And I had a list of 50 books that I put down that I think everyone should read. Do you have like a, you know, three, four, five books that you think everyone should read? I mean, whether it's your books per se or just books in general that meant a lot to you. Mm-hmm. Boy, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. You, novels, you're talking about like fiction? <clears throat> yeah. uh, or fiction or nonfiction. Yeah. I mean, um, a couple of books that influenced me a bit. One was called The Book of the Duncott, won the American Book Award back in the 80s. And um, but really, it's a short book. It's kind of an allegory. But the thing was, it really taught me to write tight, to 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 um, choose every word. Like, I feel like every word in that story mattered. And uh, so that really taught me to write with that in mind. Um there's a series of books in the seventies called the singer trilogy, which was sort of like spiritual, but kind of like allegory. I don't know what to would say They're Anyway, they're kind of fan- fantasy, but um, they really taught me to marry together like spirituality and story in a way that I had never seen before. Um, I like horror stories. Uh, I've read, you know, a lot of different ones of those through my, I'm just trying to think of like influential books where I'm like, that book was, was amazing. And um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there, I, I just have so many books coming to mind that I don't know which yeah. ones to tell you. To when you, when you've read thousands <laughs> of books, it's kind of hard, I guess, to pinpoint yeah. one down without like, I don't know, but... think about it. Yeah. I do the same thing, though, on my podcast. I sometimes ask guests, I was like, what's the one book that people need to read before they die? Uh, not yours, but some other book. And and they're like, oh, I don't, how do I choose one? You know, so, yeah. yeah. You know, what, just a couple off the top of mind. Like, for whatever reason, even though I don't write anything remotely like a classic novel, uh-huh. uh, Cannery Row by Steinbeck. Uh, just hmm. the fact that all the characters in there 
they're not so black and white. They're all shades of gray. They all have these different faults and problems, and there's not one perfect character or hero type in there. And yeah. great story and a masterful storyteller, Steinbeck was. Now I have a hard time reading some of his other novels, but that one really grabbed me. Um, Fitzgerald, F. Scott Fitzgerald, uh, Gatsby is an amazing, amazing book. Um, and anybody now, did you read the, his other one? Um, at the, what's the other one that everyone talks about with Fitzgerald? Tender or something? Tender is a night. The tender is is the night. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did you ever read that one? Yeah, I'm actually rereading it right now. It's funny you should ask. Um, That's on my shelf because I, I someone told me about Fitzgerald, and they're like, "Oh, people who love Fitzgerald." will usually say, okay, this one is better than The Great Gatsby. I don't know what your view is, but so I was like, I got to read that then. And so I literally bought the copy sitting on my shelf, The Tender Night or whatever. Yes, yeah, Tender, yeah, is, a tender is a Night. You know, it's a good story, yeah. Um, I'm just, but he's my favorite author. So I'd like I'll oh, okay. got it. Yeah. reread several things. Uh, Tales from the Jazz Age is very good. I just really like that time period. And he yeah. seemed to capture it really, really well. And a lot of people over the years have tried to make that movie of The Great Gatsby. Mm-hmm. And the movie flops every single time um, because it can't capture, I think, the spirit of the book, right? The only one that I really liked uh, was early 80s or late 70s with Mia Farrow and uh, Robert Redford. Great version mm-hmm. of The Great Gatsby. Um, sort of mm-hmm. sort of caught the, the mood of the air. Um, but interestingly enough, I... I read a lot of poetry and philosophy, which might sound a little strange, but like, I love how poetry, um, every word, you know, has so much weight to it and just philosophy because I can ask big questions. So if you looked at my list, you'd be like, look at my bookshelf. You're like, what do you read? That's crazy. Because you write suspense thrillers and you write, you know, you read literary and you read poetry and philosophy and everything. But yeah, it just informs the way that. No, I structure it. Yeah, my, my bookshelves are so varied about different things. If uh, if you like classics, if you really like the uh, Catcher in the Rye, if you like that that story, mm-hmm. uh, Fitzgerald wrote one called um, This Side of Paradise, and mm-hmm. it's it's very very different, but there's similar themes. Uh, obviously, he doesn't use all the language that uh, Salinger used, but because mm-hmm. um, yeah, there were f bombs all over that story, <laughs> Catcher in the Rye. Uh, the kid really loved the cuss. So, uh, but Fitzgerald <laughs> is a little bit more refined, and you know, it has work. But um, that's a really good Fitzgerald story. I think probably, probably the one that would rival Gatsby would be The Side of Paradise. In my opinion, but what do I know? Right, humble <laughs> opinion. But uh, but it's good. But it's good stuff. But uh, I did want to ask about your podcast. You have a podcast as well. Um, tell us a little bit about that, and where can we find it? Yeah, you know, it's called the Story Blender, and really, you can listen to it wherever you might listen to podcasts. Uh, it's it's available all the different platforms and so on. And uh, also, you can go to thestoryblender dot com for more information about our guests and 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 so on. But uh, but no, it's been really fascinating. I've had the chance to interview some of the leading writers in the world, and um, and so uh, you know, Dean Koontz has been on, and George Martin, Orson Scott Card. You like fantasy and uh, sci sci-fi, science fiction, you know. And James Patterson, I just interviewed him, so we're posting his interview wow. here in uh, November. So, so, um, so it was really, it's just kind of these authors to spend some time and just basically, I pick their brain and say, "Tell me what makes a story work." Like for you, what? 
what is it? So it's almost like you can sit on a masterclass with some of these amazing authors and sort of hear their hints and tricks and tips. And uh, so selfishly, it's been my opportunity to really pick the brains of some of the best storytellers alive, but but also hopefully to share it with, with the audience as well. So I guess it's on uh, Spotify or iTunes. They can find it anywhere. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, yeah. Um, are you going to do a masterclass at some point or have you already done one? Well, uh, I've not done like a video curriculum or something like that. No, I haven't done that. Um, we'll, we'll have to see someday. Maybe I really like teaching in person. Uh, and so, um, so I've seen some different video formats wherever they, they have an instructor doing, you know, lectures and so on. And, uh, I just find that when I'm actually with people teaching them, it's just, some, it's more vibrant and alive. So, if I ever did something, I think it'd have to probably be live. I don't know how that would work, but yeah, someday maybe. Uh, well, for those listening, if, they, if you ever want to go to uh, one of his live events, um, I would suggest people sign up for your your email list. Where, where can they do that? At? Yeah, yeah. Uh, StephenJames.net, the website there. It's kind of all things Stephen James. So you can find my books. You can find information about the podcast, the uh, newsletter, everything. StephenJames.net. Okay. So Christmas is yeah. coming up. So if you want to sign a copy of one of Stephen's books, I guess I can contact you through the website too, right? Ah, just email me. We'll figure it out. We'll get you a signed book. That sounds good. Yeah, why not? Yeah, Christmas is coming up. I mean, what, what's what's a better gift than a book? I, I, I get them every year. That and Amazon cards. Like my two two biggest gifts. <laughs> so, but uh, Stephen, I certainly appreciate you coming on and uh, talking a little bit about your work and your newest book. So. Uh, hopefully we'll we'll see you again. I'll get to see uh, doing a presentation again. I know there's a spring fling coming up, a one day writers retreat in the region, and I'm, oh, I'm not yeah. sure if the guild has contacted you for that as well. But um, if not, you're probably going to be contacted. But uh, but yeah. hopefully we can uh, do some things. Um, glad now the world's opened up after COVID. We can all kind of spend time together. Get again. out and get, you know, get back to it. So, yeah. well, I appreciate get, I appreciate your questions and just the time. Uh, to sh- sit and share a little bit with you about the the books that I've done, and uh, you know, wish you all the best in your projects, and hopefully, you'll continue to be able to write, uh, write, and pursue your dreams. Well, thank God I have a day job, right? <laughs> so that <laughs> yeah. that works. But I uh, certainly appreciate you coming on and come back anytime. Um, you have so many books. I mean, we could we could you know talk about each each one. Um, uh, <laughs> I've really enjoyed. I'd I'd really probably like to pick your brain a little bit on the quest for Celestia after I finish it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, thanks Next again. time around, we'll, we'll dive into it. Absolutely. StephenJames.net. Make sure you listen to his podcast. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in to this episode. And we'll see you down the road.